Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to More Than a Muse. I'm Stani. And I am Sadie, and I hope you're having a lovely December and that you are enjoying the holidays or is doing your best to get into the holiday spirit so far if not maybe this episode will help you i hope so i mean it's kind of a weird december i feel like it's gone by really fast but then i realized i was sick for literally like a whole week of it mm. and that that kind of chopped the whole month because i was like i haven't done any christmas shopping and then i realized oh yeah, oh, yeah. I, I was sick for the house. whole week after thanksgiving ah <laughs> uh, that'll do it yes are you feeling the Christmas spirit this year? Um, you know, not really, but I feel like it's maybe because I don't know, it's like a different winter than I'm usually used to. That's I don't know. right. You have like different weather than normal yeah. too. And like Nashville winters I've realized are just really gloomy because it just rains a lot and it's very overcast. Oh. And Utah is cold and snowy, but I actually feel like it's still there's still a lot of sunshine during the winters just yeah it's just 5 p.m yeah true but sunsets at 4 30 here so that's been awesome yeah i don't know how that happens but yeah sunset is at 4 30 and it's gloomy and rainy and i have not liked that part of nashville (laughs) but i'm sorry you know i come home to visit for a week in oh my gosh like two weeks so i'm actually yeah. excited to come home it'll be great that'll be fun we've had a very typical utah winter so far so my mom sent me videos of all the snow and everything so hmm. i'm excited it's been more snow than what we've had recently which has been really nice because i remember yeah. like the past two decembers we haven't had like a ton of snow in utah i know i was surprised but we actually had quite a bit oh. it's not sticking very much but it's been doing it more frequently, which I kind of enjoy actually, because then you don't have to really drive in it, but you still get like the a pretty snowfall. snowfall. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And Utah snow is gorgeous because I remember when I lived in Ohio, the snow there is like way too wet. And so it's like sleet is falling from the sky. <laughs> oh, Utah snow is pretty. Yes. Utah snow is like fluffy, pretty movie snow, if anyone's mm-hmm. wondering. It literally, it looks like. A film. I mean, so. don't license plates in Utah literally say like the greatest snow on earth? Yep. Don't. Yep. So, I mean, I guess we hold true to that. Yeah, greatest snow on earth. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you because this week we're talking about Christmas music. Yes. And I don't, I'm sure we've touched on this before, but like, do you have like Christmas music that you love that you listen to that maybe is like a little bit more non traditional, like not from the 1930s? <laughs> you know what is. The Pentatonics Christmas album. I wrote that down too. Okay, cool. I was in an acapella band in high school. I mean, not high school, in college. I loved it. It was the best. I Mm -hmm. generally do not like acapella music, but listen, the Pentatonics Christmas album is spectacular and I love it. It's (laughs) so good. And I don't even know why. Like, because yeah, acapella isn't something I generally like love either. No. Gosh, I truly love the album. I do not <laughs> like the Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know? I love I the Pentatonics version of that song. Yes. <laughs> it's They're so, good. so good. I also know you're a huge Casey Musgraves I was just going to say yeah. that the, <laughs> those are my two, honestly. Like, beyond the traditional obvious ones, and like, I mean, I like the Taylor Swift Christmas song, Santa Tell Me by Ariana Grande. Like, great. But yes. Christmas for me is Pentatonix and Casey Musgraves. Love that. And she did like a Christmas Amazon special two years ago. Yes. And I uh-huh. loved it. And I listened to the music. I think my favorite Christmas song of all time is the Lana Del Rey and Casey Musgraves, I'll Be Home for Christmas. Oh, I- I'm going to get emotional just thinking about it. I-, I love it. It's so beautiful. 
That's so, awesome. Those are my two. What yeah. about you? What are your go-to non-traditional um, Christmas? Kelly Clarkson's Wrapped in Red. That's a good one. Yes. I love them. I feel like most of them aren't ones that you hear. Like she has some stereotypic ones in there too. But like her two wrapped in red and underneath the tree. Like and neither of those, those are both originals. And I, I love them. They're just yes. fun and cute. When a pop artist can do a good original Christmas song and like have it not be cringy, I don't know. I love it. I know exactly. Like it doesn't sound cringy at all. They're just cute like little Christmas love songs. Mm-hmm. I also realized this year that uh-huh. Evermore is a Christmas album for me. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. I Absolutely. didn't even think about it. I was like, oh, I want to listen to something kind of low-key Christmas. And I was like, I want to listen to Evermore. Yep. And then as I was listening to the whole thing, I was like, this whole album feels like Christmas to me. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because there's not really any Christmas songs on it other than like Tis the Damn Season, which is not even really a Christmas song. I mean, going, there's enough going home for the holiday vibes. <laughs> I think yeah. we can count it. But I was like, yeah, this feels like Christmas to me. Like it, Evermore feels like a Christmas album. That album like has that like kind of Christmas nostalgia, but like also kind of like right? the bittersweetness that comes with like the holidays season and like the sad nostalgia i think it captures it really well and she has like a lot of imagery of like snow and like Mm -hmm. a family and like different things that just feel really nostalgic christmas so it's not like a classic like you don't type in christmas and find it but when i think of christmas i think of like the vibes of evermore I agree. Or like maybe yeah. Evermore is just like a seasonal depression album. I don't know. Both. <laughs> like, like It's like pitch black outside and I'm like, I'm listening to Evermore. No, it's like the Christmas album for those suffering with seasonal depression. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. And then last year, I know we talked about Karen Carpenter, the <sighs> Carpenters. Talk Merry about Christmas seasonal Starling. depression Christmas. Oh my <laughs> gosh. That's a Christmas song that, like, Merry Christmas, Darling. The first time I hear that every season, mm, there's tears. Right. Yeah. I know. Classic, classic Christmas. And yet, so beautiful. So beautiful. My family growing up, too, we listened to the Osmonds Christmas album. Oh, of course. I feel like that's also showing my um, (laughs) Utah-ness, is that (laughs) the Osmonds were a, a very popular choice. But even still, there's like this one song. I don't think it's like a big famous Christmas song, but like I thought it was growing up. It's like pine cones and holly berries. I don't even know what oh, it's called. Oh, no, you're singing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It definitely was on like FM 100. I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. It was on the Utah channels. Yeah. It's called pine cones and holly berries slash it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And yeah, apparently that's not like the biggest Christmas song in the world. But growing up, it absolutely was. Yeah. It's one of those songs where they sing the two of them like together. Yeah. For uh-huh. That's a good one. Yep. That's Osmond's a good album. Family too. Christmas. I know. That's the one I really grew up on. So I love it. Well, I'm excited to talk about Christmas music today. Me too. And also, I'll talk a little bit about one of the biggest Christmas songs of all time that we already know what it is. Written by a woman. <laughs> um, spoiler alert <laughs> Mariah Carey. All I want for Christmas is you, which is a great one. Thank But yes, t- teach us about some Christmas music or just the history of Christmas yes. music first. Okay, so fun fact about Christmas music. It's been around forever. Mm-hmm. And I literally mean that, like forever. They have found origins of it in fourth century Rome. Wow. Christmas music has been around forever. <laughs> Was it like Christian Christmas music or? I don't know. Like, okay, I'm intrigued I by so. what that looked like. Yeah. Yeah, because it was Latin language hymns, but okay, they were yeah. associated with like the end of the year. Okay, cool. Um, and Christmas music is kind of funny too because it was like religious and then it was considered not religious and then it was considered extremely religious. Yes. And then now it's kind of considered a mix of both. So I'll kind of go through that. I'm obviously not going to dive into everything because we would be here forever. <laughs> like we're talking fourth century Rome to today. That's a lot of time mm-hmm. to cover. But we'll go through a lot of the like pivotal time periods of Christmas music. The earliest recorded music that they have that they know for certain was like popular Christmas songs was in the 13th and 14th century. There was actually an English chaplain named John Aldeley who had 25 carols of Christmas that they would sing in groups of 
carolers, which we would call them now, but they called them wassailers. And they would travel from house to house throughout the 25 days of December leading up to Christmas and sing a different carol every day, which sounds so charming. And I could get behind that. And then in the 16th century, like we're talking 16th century, the earliest songs, and you will know all of these, 12 Days of Christmas, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, and Oh Christmas Tree. Wow. 16th century. Yeah, I didn't realize these songs were this old. Okay. They are old, 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 old. (laughs) The Middle Ages is when people first started calling Christmas songs carols, and they actually did them with dancing too Mm -hmm. and carol became to mean a song in which a religious topic is treated in a style that is familiar or festive so that's Mm -hmm. kind of when the idea of christmas carols came and it was associated primarily with religious songs which makes sense for the origins of christmas right especially when it was associated with like the church and the birth of christ which is funny because shortly after that The Puritans abolished the practice of Christmas and Christmas carols, claiming it to be sacrilegious and pagan, uh, which is hilarious to me. Actually, in my medieval art history class, we learned about the fact that like Halloween isn't even pagan. So the idea that Christmas was is kind of a weird concept because I highly doubt it was as pagan as they thought it was, especially if Halloween's not even pagan. So that's kind of weird. But they abolished Christmas and Christmas carols. Until 1660, when Charles II restored the Stuarts to the throne, and then England once again began singing Christmas carols as part of the revival of Christian customs. That was sanctioned by the king. So the king came in and said, Christmas is happening again, and it did. And then that brought forth a huge surge of Christmas carols in the Victorian and 19th century that we still have today, including Silent Night, O Little Town of Bethlehem, Oh, Holy Night. The 19th century also started contemporary Christmas songs that really didn't have anything to do with, like, Christ, including Up on the Housetop, Jolly Old St. Nicholas. Wow. Um, Yeah. These songs are old. I mean, I'm sure you'll talk about this later, but, like, that's probably why it's so hard to write a new one is because they're literally (laughs) this old. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They've been around forever what happened during this time too in the victorian era which is kind of fun because we talked a lot about the victorian era it really Mm -hmm. was such a huge time period of like courting things and like bringing things back too yeah um but they started bringing back a lot of older christmas hymns and then translating them or like adding lyrics to music that had never had words before and so it created this whole collection of printed Christmas hymns for the first time ever where they actually had sheet music written down or like words written down or like actual hymn books of Christmas music recorded. So instead of just being passed down by mouth or tradition or, you know, like learning it in your church congregation, you could actually like mm-hmm. buy a collection of Christmas carols. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Christmas festivities also just became really popular, and so Christmas as a whole was just becoming really popular, especially in a lot of European countries. I know Finland, my brother actually served his LDS mission there, and there's a ton of Christmas traditions and everything surrounding Finland and Germany, we know, with like Christmas trees and everything. Mm -hmm. And so they really took the forefront of a lot of Christmas songs and traditions that were getting passed down through their generations and then turned over to other countries and translated and adopted as well. So that includes, like I mentioned, 12 Days of Christmas. That was earlier, right, in the 1700s, but then it became an English West Country carol in the 19th century. You also have with the melody solidifying then. So that's kind of funny that like the song was there, but the melody wasn't like solidified Mm -hmm. until the 19th century. There's also We Wish You a Merry Christmas, And then Up on the Housetop, Jolly Old St. Nicholas, Jingle Bells, O Christmas Tree. That was originally written in German, you know, the O Tannenbaum. Mm -hmm. And then also a lot of other ones like God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, The Holly and the Ivy, I Saw Three Ships, Coventry Mm -hmm. Carol, Wexford Carol. And a lot of those were associated with, you know, like the Santas that ring the bells and ask for donations to the poor. Yeah. Back then, they used to do that all the time, too, around the Christmas season. And it was actually predominantly women. They didn't dress up as Santa, but they would take, like, a bowl to their neighbors 
and ask for gifts for the poor and then Mm -hmm. they would sing songs so it was like a really common practice they also had a lot of like christmas feasts and advents during the season specifically for the church so kind of that idea of like a different hymns being sung every single day leading up to christmas and like different Mm -hmm. church feasts and activities kind of really bringing together the christmas season in a way that had never been done before And this moved into the Baroque era, specifically with like classical music. Think of like Handel's Messiah or just like all of those other really, really popular Christmas classical music that probably doesn't immediately come to your mind, but is like such like Pachelbel's a connection to like what? Yes, exactly. Christmas. Yeah, that's Christmas at this point, I think. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I'm not going to go through and name all of those because probably most of you won't recognize them off of the name. <laughs> yeah, but you, but like, you would recognize know the, the melody. <laughs> yeah. I-, I think it takes like a special person to know immediately what song a classical song is by like the title. Yeah. <laughs> I think even I as a music major would fail that test. So <laughs> yes, exactly. But what was cool about them is they actually did a lot of like poems that they would associate with like the classical compositions. And some people even ended up adding words to like them later, which I think of like Handel's Messiah and stuff. He did that for a choir originally, I believe. But yeah, um, I think so. A lot of other ones around that became associated with Christmas church choirs during the Baroque period. This also brought like joy to the world, angels we have heard on high, angels Mm -hmm. from the realms of glory. Away in a manger, deck the halls, ding dong merrily on high, the first Noel, go tell it on the mountain, God rest you merry gentlemen, good king Wenceslas, hark the herald angels sing, it came upon a midnight clear, the joy to the world, O come all you faithful, O come, O come Emmanuel, O holy night, O little town of Bethlehem, once in royal David city, silent night, the twelve days of Christmas, we three kings of Orient are, we wish you a merry Christmas, what child is this, and while shepherds watch their flocks. So all of them. (laughs) Yeah, like growing up in a Christian church, I can sing pretty much all of these songs because during the month of December, what did we do every single Sunday? We sang these hymns and it's they're in a hymn Actually kind of blowing my mind that like the songs that they're singing in the 1600s are the same ones that we're singing now. I'm sure there's more things, but I feel like there are few things that connect centuries of history you know that it's like the exact same practices that it's like we are still singing the exact same christmas songs in our congregations in church you know like yeah the exact same thing that 400 years ago at this point is what they were doing like that's insane i feel like there's not that many things like sure like shakespeare but it's not like being enjoyed in the same way you know what i mean like yes and that's what i I think is so crazy it's like it's almost like the christmas songs are still at the same level as they were when they were first getting written hundreds of years ago do you you know what i'm trying to say yeah no i totally get what you're saying and i agree like we don't go see shakespeare plays as like the hot new play every weekend every month in december everyone puts on away in a manger oh christmas tree oh holy night silent yeah. night like those still play like that is the hot new song <laughs> yeah it's just single December. a new version of it yeah <laughs> yeah and then the 1930s to 1950s is actually like the earliest period of like a huge resurgence of christmas music again which mm. is really funny to think about but this brings kind of more of our less religious classic yeah. christmas songs You think of like Frank Sinatra, the Supremes, the Jackson Five, the Beach Boys, Glenn Campbell, Bruce Springsteen. And they started singing Santa Claus is Coming to Town, which is the most played holiday song of the last 50 years. Really? And then um, according to like, yeah, in 2016, I think. Interesting. So that one was really popular. Then you also have like this like rock era Christmas songs, as they call them. Mm. Like Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Let It Snow. Winter Wonderland, Sleigh Ride, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, Uh, Wonderful Christmas Time, and Last Christmas by George Michael from Wham. These are heard everywhere, of course, on the internet, shopping malls, elevators, lobbies, even on the street. You think of like a Bing Crosby that like created major acts that have created numbers of titles in the 30 most performed Christmas songs. Elvis Presley, Jackson 5. You know, a lot of those like classic 50s, 60s voices that you hear that got translated into Christmas music and have Mm -hmm. stayed. 
which is hilarious, actually. <laughs> they also mentioned the fact that a lot of the music since them in 1950s have more of a romantic overtone with their Christmas music. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's more of like a love song that just happens to have a Christmas setting. Yes. And that that's kind of become the new popular method that that's what's popular now. Which is kind of weird to me, too, to think about that it's like, did we just have so many religious and like classic Christmas songs that they were like, oh, the only thing we haven't done is romance. It's a romance and that's why one. those became so popular. Yeah. Or if there's something that we associate now with like love and Christmas together that I'm sure because became... it's like, what is Christmas if not like the idealized happy time of year? So maybe it's just True. thrown in some of that. I don't know. Because people like hate being single for Christmas and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Kind of a weird thing there. So. What's funny is that when you look at the last 50 years alone of Christmas music, the same songs kind of stand, mm -hmm. tend to fall to the top of the line. You have a couple that were written during this time period that I'll mention. You have Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, of course. Kind of funny because it was actually adapted from a retailer's promotional poem. Really? And then changed into a song. Yeah, so it was originally an advertisement, mm -hmm. and then now is a beloved Christmas song. Uh, it happened again with Frosty the Snowman. And then you also have, this was funny too, The Little Drummer Boy. It was authored by a writer of church hymns, but it's not considered overtly religious because there is no biblical account of a drumming child, the Christian nativity scene. I mean, true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So even though it's about Jesus Christ, it's not considered a religious Christmas song, which is a little funny to me. Because it's like, obviously, but yeah, that one was written, Jesus. That one was written in 1941 and then released in 1958 again with, and that's the more popular version. This is a hilarious statistic of the top 30 most performed Christmas songs in 2015. So this isn't technically the most popular, but it's the most frequently performed. Mm-hmm. Uh, 43% were written in the 1930s or 1940s. 12 of them, so 40%, were written in the 1950s and 1960s. And only five were written from the 1970s. And only two were from after 1990. And none are after 1995. Wow. Yeah. That is crazy. And that's the most performed. Something that's funny, too, is Johnny Marks actually wrote three of the songs that appear in the most performed Christmas songs, including Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Holly Jolly Christmas, and Rocking Around the Christmas Tree. Wow. Irving Berlin wrote two, White Christmas and Happy Holiday. And those are the only songwriters that appear in the list more than once, and neither of them are Christian. Dang. That's crazy. Yeah. And then Gene Autry was the first to sing three of the songs. So not his renditions aren't in the top of the most performed but he was the first to sing them. Which and that includes Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, and Here Comes Santa Claus right down Santa Claus Lane. Why am I like just realizing that that was all, like the original versions were all sung by the same person? Like, of course, those are the same voices. <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's like this little niche area of like Christmas music mm -hmm. that, that it's hard to tap into. Uh, what was funny, too, is there's also like a subsection that talks about the most hated and most loved Christmas songs, which <laughs> I thought we would mention really quick. Yes. The most liked songs are like Bing Crosby's White Christmas. It's a classic. Mm. I mean, how can you really hate that song? Nat True. King Cole's The Christmas Song. Oh. Um, Burl Ives, A Holly Jolly Christmas. Other favorites, other favorites include Brenda Lee's Rocking Around the Christmas Tree. Jingle Bell Rock by Bobby Helms, yes. John Lennon and Yoko Ono's Happy Christmas, and then also loved were Johnny Mathis, Do You Hear What I Hear, which we have all heard, mm -hmm. <laughs> Mary Simon Quarles, Little Drummer Boy. It's funny how popular that song is, but it really truly is like yeah. a Christmas staple. The most hated Christmas songs include Barbara Streisand's Jingle Bells, which I don't even think plays anymore because I cannot tell you what that sounds like. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah, now I Jackson 5's Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Whatever, that song's <laughs> <Yeah>. fine. <laughs> Elmo and Patsy's Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, a very controversial song, I will say. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, yeah, I don't, I don't care for that one. <laughs> and then also, this one makes sense to me, the Oh Holy Night performed by the cartoon characters from Comedy Central South Park. Why did that become a thing where you have like a 
cartoon characters from a TV show sing a Christmas song? I'm just surprised that it even made it to the list. Like, I'm surprised they're even like counting it as a legitimate Christmas song. All right. That's Another hilarious. one that made it to the list that people truly hate is Carl Weissman's singing dogs singing Jingle Bells. I think they just bark. <laughs> and I'm glad that hasn't come on my playlist anytime soon. Amazing. Another really, really beloved Christmas song. Rolling Stone actually ranked this their first on the list of the greatest rock and roll Christmas songs was Darlene Loves Christmas, Baby Please Come Home from 1963. Mm -hmm. Fair. Beloved, right? Such a good one. And then All I Want for Christmas Fight is You by Mariah Carey is actually the number one on Billboard's holiday digital songs chart. Yes. Another one that actually made it in the UK is called Fairy Tale of New York by the Pogues. And I don't think I recognize that from the title. I don't either. So that's kind of interesting. But just in general, some songs that people also have little vendettas against are Santa Baby. Um, <gasps> Not my Eartha Kid. <laughs> a little fair. Um, but what people hate about it the most is actually that the Madonna cover version gets more airplay than Eartha Kitt's original, which I thought was Eartha Kitt's cool. is the best. Mm -hmm. I am an Eartha Kitt fan. And then other songs that people just don't really like are I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. <laughs> Again, I, I stand with that. Yeah. I did see like a TikTok from someone this week that was like, I just realized that I saw mama kissing Santa Claus is supposed to mean that the dad is dressed up as Santa Claus and not that the mom Mom's is cheating, cheating on the dad with Santa Claus. That's how I took it as a child. <laughs> because if Santa Claus is real and you see your mom kissing him, then it's obviously not your dad dressed up as Santa. It is your mom having an affair with John <laughs> And like that, uh-uh, no, does not seem right. I know. Anyway, so there's a lot of revulsion for a lot of these Christmas songs. And then obviously a lot of beloved Christmas songs that have become a new standard. And that's kind of a hilarious thing of the history of Christmas music. This little elite club that very few are able to be part of. Amazing. We're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. Okay, so I found this illustrator based in Somerset, UK on the Instagram Discover page, which we always, always love. And her name is Victoria Ball. So her username is just mm -hmm. Victoria Ball underscore. And she actually did illustrations for um, a advent calendar for wood manstern man cards in the UK that's gorgeous it's just like this little uk christmas scene that's so cute she's also done some puzzles and recently illustrated a book called the red sledge written by mick jackson it's like a little christmas children's book very adorable All it is this. it's just so cute we mentioned mm -hmm. earlier when we were talking that it's very reminiscent of our last week's artist of grandma moses yeah. And I think that's very true. It's just kind of one of those works of art where you can look at it forever because you can like zoom in on all the little people with all the little details doing like all the different little things. things. It turns into almost of like a Where's Waldo or an I Spy book. Mm -hmm. I love stuff like that. I do too. I love it. And yeah, all of her artwork is just, it's it's beautiful. I love it so much. Yeah. And even I not agree. her non-holiday stuff, scrolling back. Yeah, it's still gorgeous, like still so intricate and beautiful. She also has a fine art page that's linked in her bio that you can check out where she does like more abstract paintings and stuff like that. They're really cool. Oh, cool. So recommend checking that out as well. And then you can just see everything that she's doing. A very creative person. Yeah, I love it. For my spotlight, I will be shouting out someone that took me a second, admittedly, to understand their <laughs> username. But... It is Carrie's Bouquets, as in a flower bouquet, but it's Bouquets. And that is spelled Carrie's, K-E-R-R-Y-S, underscore, B-O-U-Q-C-A-K-E-S. She is a mom of two with a love for creating beautiful buttercream flowers. And boy, does she do beautiful buttercream flowers. My like hobby that I dream of perfecting one day is 
excuse me, baking beautiful things. I can bake fine, but they don't look, no, they don't look nearly this beautiful. They barely look presentable, but yeah, they're, they're beautiful. <laughs> but something cool too is she has online tutorials that are available internationally. So ooh-hoo. she does private lessons and workshops. She is in the UK, so it's a little bit too far for me to partake, but yeah, it's really cool. And even just, they're just, it's beautiful to look at her cupcakes. I adore them all. They're gorgeous. Also, I think it's like a really good idea to do a wreath on a cupcake. It actually looks like pretty easy. Like I feel like all of us would be able to manage that, right? You just like I could do. I could not do the beautiful rose that is also in that (laughs) definitely beautiful Christmas box. But I feel like the wreath alone, we could we could manage that. So there's a cute little Christmas idea for everyone. You can do a little Christmas wreath on a cupcake. Very manageable. Mm Mm-hmm. Very but her flowers are stunning. Yes, they are so, so beautiful. So Literally go look at them. The I'm things. sure they taste delicious as well. Oh, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Prettiest cupcakes I All think right, I've ever seen. All right, now back to the show. Well, now I get to talk about the biggest Christmas song of all time. I yeah actually well even of all time well in modern history maybe of all time yeah I definitely think, the most mentioned I think for like the 10 last 10 years yeah also I'm gonna skip ahead to my notes real quick I don't know what it was about the last five years that this song I think really got a revitalization is that the word I don't know because In 2000, well, it wasn't released in 2000, but like with how the chart rules that changed, 2000, it was at 83. 2012, it was at 21. So I don't know if it's like for 12 years, it just wasn't charting. I don't know. 2013, Mm -hmm. 26, 2014, 35. Then 2015, it hit 11. 2016, 16. 2017, 9. And then 2018, it hit number three. And then 2019, 2020, and 2021, it hit number one. So, like, I don't know what happened in those years that suddenly, like, made people love that song. Like, I don't know if it finally was old enough that, like, nostalgia hit for it in maybe ways it hadn't when it was only, like, 10 years old. I don't know. But, like, Mm -hmm. something happened. I have a theory on that we'll touch on later because I actually think that that ties into something about the science of Christmas music. Okay, because at first I was like, maybe it was the pandemic because, you know, everyone was just extra nostalgic in 2020. But then I realized Mm. it hit number one, 2019. So like before any of that happened. So I don't know. That's funny. But for one thing, I mean, I love this whole episode because my favorite thing is like learning about where these iconic songs come from and the birth of them and, you know, like how crazy that's mind blowing to me that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was literally like an advertisement. Like that's so cool. Right. But let's talk a little bit about the history of All I Want for Christmas is You. Obviously, it's a song recorded by Mariah Carey and it was for her fourth studio album and her very first holiday album, which is called Just Merry Christmas. And that was released in 1994. It was written and produced by Carey and Walter Affenseif. The album, yes, Mariah Carey and Walter Affenseif. But the song was released as the lead single for the album on October 29th of 1994, which I feel like is really early to release a Christmas single. But I don't know. Yeah, October. Yeah, you would think November. Even when I see people who like release things in November for Christmas, I'm like, is that not a little early? I don't know. But the song obviously has received critical acclaim. The New Yorker described it as one of the few worthy modern additions to the holiday canon. It has become a global success, topping the charts in 26 countries, including Australia, Canada, France, and Germany. And then, like I said, Gosh. in 2019, it topped the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 for the first time, 25 years after its original release. And that broke the record for like the longest trip to number one from when it was first released to when it finally hit number one the following year it also topped the charts in the uk for the first time and there is an estimated sale of over 16 million copies worldwide of all i want for christmas is you it is the best-selling holiday song by a female artist and one of the best-selling physical singles in music history period like best-selling physical singles in music history not holiday singles best-selling 
single in history. The song is certified diamond by RIAA, denoting sales of 10 million copies in the United States, becoming the first and only holiday song to accomplish this feat. By 2017, it had reportedly earned $60 million in royalties, which is before it hit number one. Like, (laughs) so I'm sure that has just gotten up so much more in more recent years so but the creation of this so following the success of her 1993 album music box which admittedly i don't know a lot about mariah carey or mariah carey's career and i haven't really listened to a lot of her music to be honest so honestly i don't think i have either we watched a like holiday movie on her once as like this cartoon that she made or something it came on tv and we just ended up watching it okay And then I looked it up after and realized that, like, she made up, like, half of the facts about herself. Oh. (laughs) And it just kind of, like, rubbed me the wrong way. And so I will admit that other than this song, I am not a huge Mariah Carey fan because I, like, I've heard, like, a few things where I'm just like, "Uh uh-uh. No. No, I've heard she's a diva. I will say that. Yeah. (laughs) But... Also, at a certain point, maybe you, I don't know. At what point do you deserve getting to be a diva? I I don't know. I don't know. Because I feel like you can be a diva without being a jerk. That's true. And I feel like sometimes I hear that she's kind of more of a jerk than just a diva. I've heard the same thing. But regardless, (laughs) I'll put respect where respect is due, you know. (laughs) Yes. No denying the, like, popularity and genius of this song. So And in my career in general, Yeah. (laughs) That's funny that she made up facts about herself. I did not know that. (laughs) Anyways, but her and her management, Columbia Records, including her then husband, who was head of Columbia's parent label, Sony Music, they were kind of figuring out what to do for her next step. And they discussed recording a Christmas album. But I feel like nowadays it's really, really normal for a pop artist to do like a random Christmas song. It honestly kind of feels cash grabby to me sometimes. But at Mm -hmm. this time, it wasn't necessarily the norm. Usually if you were to put out a Christmas album, this was going to be like this is something that you would do almost like if your career was not doing well. It was like a chance to revitalize it, which I mean, I personally feel like now it's almost something that you do at the beginning of your career like Justin Bieber's mm-hmm. album oh there's a modern Christmas song I actually like Justin Bieber's Mistletoe I think that that's is a good gonna one. go on to be a a bit of a classic eventually and like Taylor Swift did one really early in her career so I don't know if there was like following this success maybe that became more of a norm I wonder if it was because of what you know if she kind of set the precedent for that but the producer of this album said back then you didn't have a lot of artists with Christmas albums it wasn't a known science at all back then and there was nobody who did a big new Christmas song so we were going to release it kind of as an everyday hey you know we're putting out a Christmas album no big deal so they began writing and composing Christmas songs in mid-1990 apparently she decorated her home with Christmas decorations even though it was like summertime that way she could (laughs) enter the holiday spirit and make her performance more authentic oh yeah and all I want for Christmas is you was recorded that August and apparently it took Carrie and Walter only 15 minutes to write and compose which I mean like who's that one graphic designer you really like that she says that thing that it's like oh, oh yeah Paula Cher she's yeah. like it took me like 50 years to learn how to do it in 15 seconds yeah uh-huh. I yeah. think similar things where it's like wow like that took no time it's like no 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 no, no. they've been putting the time in and that's why they did it yes. in 15 minutes okay so this is the story then of the writing of it so at first Walter admitted that he was puzzled and blanched as to where Carrie wanted to take the melody and vocal scales though she was adamant in her direction for the song in an interview with Billboard uh, he described the type of relationship he and Carrie shared in the studio as songwriters quote it was always the same sort of system with us we would write the nucleus of the song the melody primary music and then some of the words were there as we finished writing it I started playing some rock and roll piano and started boogie woogieing my left hand and that inspired Mariah to come up with the melodic i don't want a lot i don't want a lot for christmas yep there we go Uh and then we started singing and playing around with this rock and roll boogie song which immediately came out of the nucleus of what would end up being all i want for christmas is you that one went very quickly it was an easier song to write than some of the others it was very formulaic not a lot of chord changes i tried to make it a little more unique putting in some special chords that you really don't hear a lot of which make it unique and special then for the next week or two mariah would call me and say what do you think about this bit we would talk a little bit until she got the lyrics all nicely coordinated and done and then we just waited until the sessions began which were in the summer of 94 when we got together in new york and started recording and that's when we first hear her at the microphone singing and the rest is history so i guess obviously the whole song didn't take 15 minutes to complete but the original idea 
just came from them just you know messing around on a piano which i think is so cool and then he flew back to california where he finished the song apparently they like went through two different versions of it where like originally there was like a live band that played but then he ended up not liking that and then ended up just using samples and like sequences for sequences what's the word like more like drum programs rather than like live things oh Okay. Which I thought was interesting. Oh, and then this is about it. So in touching on several aspects of what excited her to record and release her Christmas album, Carrie went into detail on what writing and recording the song and album meant for her. And she said, I'm a very festive person and I love the holidays. I've sung Christmas songs since I was a little girl. I used to go Christmas caroling. When it came to the album, we had to have a nice balance between standard Christmas hymns and fun songs. It was definitely a priority for me to write at least a few new songs. But for the most part, people really wanted to hear the standards at Christmas time, no matter how good a new song is. Something that I really liked, I really read a new york times article about just the popularity of this song it's just called the article is just how mariah carries all i want for christmas you became the holiday gift that keeps on giving and what i loved is i'm going to read this little bit from it it said this of course attests to carrie's skill as a songwriter a factor that often overshadowed by her outstanding talent and larger than life persona less listeners forget while listening to her hit the whistle register carrie wrote 17 of her 18 number one hits a feat that astounds on multiple levels and then quote this song is a testament to something that mariah carrie is still undervalued for her songwriting beauty writer and self-professed lifelong lamb for the uninitiated lambs or the lamely are the devoted fans of carrie oh i did not know that that was their fan name i didn't know that either yeah i'm like oh uh titan sinks tells time mariah carrie wrote this song dude isn't that crazy it's such a classic that people think it's a cover of something else but it's a mariah carrie original baby she just sat down one day and literally invented christmas and i I just love that because it's true. I think that almost like the way it's written just feels so like perfectly simple in the way that a song like this would need to be that it yeah like the first time you hear it you just almost like assume it's a cover but she wrote it and I just definitely well even from like the opening notes of just like the da 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 it just immediately becomes like you know what it is from the first note that it hits and I yes. feel like that's like a really crazy thing to be able to do with a song too yeah and even myself admittedly like I don't think of Mariah Carey as one of the biggest songwriters of all time but like I mean she wrote 17 of her 18 hits including this song which is one of the best-selling songs of all time so like obviously I was wrong to underestimate her and so is a lot of the world So in the United States, the first week of January 1995, it peaked at number six on the Billboard Hot 100 and number 12 at the overall thing. So like it wasn't immediately this big success, but I also feel like considering it was a new Christmas song, the fact that it almost hit number 10 is pretty crazy. Um, I mean, when you're going up against songs that are written like exactly like century, (laughs) that's pretty crazy. And then it just kind of slowly built its way up. Like I said, there were a couple like weird rule changes with how they like track the Billboard 100. But then in 2017, the song reached number nine, giving her her 28th top 10 song in the country. And the last time that that had happened was actually in 2009. So 12 years? No, um, eight years since that had happened last. Mm -hmm. And then it rose to number three on the chart in 2019, becoming the second holiday track to reach its top five after, funnily enough, the Chipmunk song, Christmas Don't Be Late. And that actually peaked at number one in 1958. Oh my gosh, the hold that that song had over us for a couple of years. I know. And like literally the Uh, 50s that went number one, I just, I think that's hilarious. And then on December 21st of 2019, All I Want for Christmas is You topped the Hot 100 for the first time in the United States with 45.6 million streams and 26 7,000 digital sales sold, which is crazy for like a, you know, 20 year old song. And yeah, that was its first hit. And it was only the second time in the over six decade Hot 100 chart history, a Christmas song hit number one, like I mentioned after the Chipmunk song in the 50s. And then she extended her record of having the most number one songs for a solo artist on the Hot 100 with 19. And she achieved a record extending 80th week at number one on the Hot 100. And then this was cool. So it was released in 1994. But it was the last number one single of the 2010s decade, as well as the first number one song of the 2020s decade, because it was number one last week of 2019, 2020, first week of 2020. And when this happened, she became the first artist in history to top the chart in four separate decades, 1990s, 2000s, 2010s, and 2020. All with a Christmas song, huh? Well, 
no the christmas song didn't happen until 2010 and 2020 oh but okay. other songs hit number one in those yeah, decades but still four for decades that's yeah still it's it's very insane and then yeah with the end of the holiday season the song broke yet another record of the following week by becoming the first song to fall completely off the charts from number one so <laughs> there's the other side where it's like it broke the record for going number one to just completely off the charts but that makes yeah. sense because n- no one's going to be listening to that other just funny things, it became the first holiday ringtone to be certified double platinum by the recording industry. Ringtones aren't really a thing anymore. And then on December 3rd, All I Want for Christmas is You was certified selling 10 million units, becoming the first holiday song to achieve this, making Carrie the second female artist in history to have a, both a double certified single and album. Taylor Swift is the only other woman to have done this. And then by December 20th of 2020, the song has upped its U.S. totals to 4.3 billion in radio audience and 1.4 billion streams and 3.7 million in download sales. That's insane. Yes. Due to its lasting impact, she has been dubbed the Queen of Christmas. Which Which is controversial. I know, because isn't this year it come out? She tried to trademark that and she wasn't able to. She did. So I wrote it down because I was like, I remember hearing about this. It had to have been like the beginning of November that this news broke or like end of October. Well, you know, her TikTok she did this year where she had her as like a witch, like riding on her broom. And Mm -hmm. then she went, it's time. And then the song started playing and she did that on like November 1st. Yeah, I think so. She really leans into this, obviously. But she tried to get the Queen of Christmas, Sass Christmas, and Queen of Christmas like acronym. So the QOC trademark. And she applied for exclusive rights to the phrases to the United States Trademark Trial and Appeal Board. Obviously, it got denied because... (laughs) One of the main people that was pushing back against it is an artist named Elizabeth Chan. Mm. She only writes Christmas and holiday music. That's it. Like, that is her entire career. She's a full-time Christmas and holiday music recording artist. So they had this months-long legal battle, and her attorney actually said this was a classic case of trademark bullying. Another reason I kind of, like... I feel a little bit icky around Mariah Carey. Okay, yeah. Um, what she was trying to do was make it so that you couldn't even sell a sweatshirt on Etsy that said Queen of Christmas without infringing upon her lawsuit. Oh. She also would have been able to have the grounds to ask radio and media outlets to cease and desist from calling anyone the Queen of Christmas other than her. Like wow. literally you could not have had the Queen of Christmas on anything other than right, her Carrie. stuff, which a lot of people weren't okay with. Uh, Elizabeth Chen actually said Mariah Carey is not the only Queen of Christmas. Christmas is a season of giving, not the season of taking. And it's wrong for an individual to attempt to own and monopolize a nickname like the Queen of Christmas for purposes of abject materialism. She said, as as an independent artist and small business owner, my life's work is to bring people together for the holiday season, which is how I came to be called the Queen of Christmas. I wear that title as a badge of honor and with full knowledge that it will be and should be bestowed on others in the future. My goal in taking on this fight was to stand up to trademark bullying, not just to protect myself, but also to protect future Queens of Christmas. Oh, okay. I think I'm on her side here, obviously. But (laughs) I agree. I just think it's a little bit too loose of a term to go around trademarking. Um, That's true. Yeah. Yes, I agree. It's a pretty loose term. But the song was very, obviously, very impactful. This one last thing that I'm going to read about it. The ringer writer, his name is Rob Harvilla, stated that December belongs to Mariah Carey. So some people... Think she is the queen of christmas but but he said he's like the first time you hear the song it sounds classic timeless like it was playing in the manger when jesus christ was born <laughs> which i thought was so funny <laughs> i'm sorry but i cannot imagine that in my head uh, <laughs> okay. yeah. but but also like i think going back to i think you're going to talk about why it was it's so popular but the song kind of it's reminiscent of judy garland nat king cole kind of has like mm-hmm. the 60s 70s motown vibes of like the jackson five stevie wonders and like those type of songs it sounds like it could have been written in the 40s oh and then in vogue a writer felt like the lyrics helped solidify its status over two decades later quote those lyrics could have been sung by frank sinatra well maybe not frank but another singer back then i think that's what gives it the timeless classic quality which like i said mm-hmm. like with the way that they re- wrote those lyrics they just feel so simple and obvious but like i mean in my opinion that's the best songs is like 
when it's like, why did nobody write this song until now? You know, and it feels like something that could have been written and sung in the 50s and should have existed before it did, which, like I said, in my opinion, marks the makings of a good song. I agree. So that's Um, all I have about the amazing success of the song. So I found this article from Wired Magazine about why there hasn't been a hit Christmas song in years and why Christmas music is so hard to write. And he talks about how like the most recent song to break into the top 20 most played Christmas tracks is a song called Millennium Prayer from the year 1000. But even more like obscure festive tracks don't tend to make it into the charts or like anything higher unless they're Mm -hmm. older than a decade and he said many of us regardless of our generation listen to christmas music that tends to have come through from the early 70s and this is paul carr a professor in popular music analysis he said it would be easy to attribute it to the songs being better but he doesn't think that's the case instead he argues that there's a generational effect where we inherit the Christmas tunes beloved by our parents, which is funny because that's what we were talking about with Christmas music, how like the songs that we mm-hmm. listened to as a child tend to be the ones we think of when we think of Christmas music, and those are still our favorites. Yes. We pass these records on to our kids, we listen to them, and consequently these records seem to have a cyclic impact on generations. And nostalgia is a powerful force in popular culture, particularly around Christmas, And Christmas songs are all about nostalgia. Think about White Christmas, which is the biggest selling song of all time. All the lyrics about nostalgia and going back to Christmases in the past. They Mm -hmm. actually looked at UK Spotify charts for the week of December 25th, which I'm assuming is probably really similar to the US charts. And out of the top 200 songs, 78 of them were Christmas or holiday related. 49% of the tracks featured sleigh bells. 95% were recorded in a major key. And the median tempo of the tracks were 115 beats per minute. And so this led to like a lot of people believing that there's like a magic formula for Christmas songs. And it is notable mm-hmm. that like Mariah's Carey, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You does follow that method of like sleigh bells, major key and median tempo of 115 beats per minute. Yeah. But there are people that have written songs that follow that and it still doesn't hit the charts. Mm-hmm. And that's the reasoning behind that is because we inherit our Christmas songs from our parents more than any other type of music because we only listen to it once a year. Um, yeah. He also talked about how like a lot of artists will use this to manipulate your nostalgia. Like you think of Michael Bublé, who releases mm-hmm. literally the same Christmas songs that have always been sung, but just as like a modern rearrangement and taps into like the nostalgia of voices of like Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Allowing you to kind of hear the same thing, but slightly different. But despite older songs being played on repeat every single year, we don't seem to get sick of old classics. Uh, This is the most interesting part. He talks about what they call an inverted U-shaped curve of enjoyment that happens with pop songs where you go from not really liking a song to loving a song to hating it after it's been overplayed. But that doesn't mm-hmm. happen with Christmas music be to- because we don't listen to it all year. So you don't actually get sick of it. Like it doesn't get, you don't get the chance to hate it or whatever. Yes. And it's kind of like a weird thing that exists only for that genre of music where like it doesn't really become like a TikTok trend that gets outplayed. It doesn't become like yeah. a radio hit that turns into a commercial that gets overplayed. Like you've got a solid month and a half, maybe two months of listening to these mm-hmm. songs. And so there's not really a chance for you to get sick of them. And that's why he talks about how like Christmas music, it tends to just happen on a longer scale than any other kind of song. So like yeah. Mariah Carey, we talked about that. It finally reached the number one in the U.S. 25 years after it's released. And so that'll mm-hmm. probably happen again for future pop music, but it will be because the generations pass it down to the next generation. So it'll be like in 20 years, yeah. whatever we're listening to, will pass on to. To, which, and it follows the trend because it came out in the 90s. And so it makes sense that like now in 2020s, the kids of the people who maybe had it come out during, I don't know, 
when they were a kid in the 90s. Like, it makes sense that they're having kids now, 20-something years later. So they passed it on to their kids, and now all of a sudden it's this very, very nostalgic thing for so many people. Yes, exactly. And so that's what he said, like Ariana Grande, like, you know, a lot of these Christmas pop songs that are popular with, like, younger generations now, they could end up being the fundamental Mm -hmm. Christmas classics of the new age. But it'll be yeah. a while before we actually see whether or not like the they next make twenty the cut. years. Mistletoe by Justin Bieber will be number one on Billboard. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but it's just kind of funny because it like it has a longer scale cycle, so like uh-huh. it'll be a long time before we know if like it has actually made its way into yeah. Christmas. Canon. If it will be that classic, mm-hmm. yeah, which is hilarious actually. If you think about yeah. it, you're. <laughs> Releasing a song knowing that you've got like 20 years before you know whether or not it was actually like we'll see we'll know in 20 years if it was actually good enough or not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's what happens when you're going up against like radio playtime of songs from like the 19th century or even the 14th century that like Uh it just there's not enough time to really play everything. Obviously, that's changing with, like, Spotify, though, so that'll be kind of interesting to see what ends up happening in the future oh, with yeah. that as well. Because, obviously, radio stations, at least before, had a lot more power in deciding what actually ended up being popular. Yep. Not as much now as they have they now. Don't. So, yeah, we could see, like, a whole different round of, like, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You in 25 years. <laughs> In 25 years, there's going to be a new person going for the Queen of Christmas copyright. Oh, yeah. And, and there'll be Mariah be Carey Swift. fighting against the <laughs> I uh-huh. know you mentioned this briefly, but it's more of like an investment for an artist to release yeah, Christmas music. Exactly. So I think that's what's revitalized Mariah Carey mm-hmm. is this, like, I mean, like I said, I personally didn't really pay the respects due to Mariah Carey. I admit it. But now because of that and because she wrote that iconic Christmas song, she now has a number one hit in four decades. And so, yeah, it is kind of like a long term investment that an artist can do if they trust themselves and trust the song that it's like, okay, I'm putting this out now, but I know I don't know how big it will be probably for 20 years. And I I wonder how conscious they are of it. Oh, I was just going to say, because of the popularity of that song, it also pulled in, like, other Christmas songs by her. Because now when people are like, oh, yeah. Christmas music, Mariah Carey, they go listen to her whole album. So she's actually yeah. got, like, four out of the five of her most popular songs on Spotify are Christmas songs. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Because they'll go back and listen to the whole album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fun. I And, and the truth is, is, like, yeah, like, Christmas music is obviously so nostalgic like that's the whole fun and the whole point of it that's why people listen to it yeah I don't know why I just I really love the idea of like passing down your Christmas songs to your children that's what like I think there's mm -hmm. it like inheriting your Christmas songs from your parents like there's something really cute and like it just feels very Christmassy for that to be the case (laughs) And going back to kind of what we talked about earlier in the episode where it's it's crazy that that is something like that is something that connects us to the people of 400 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. That we are still enjoying the same songs in the exact same ways, really. I mean, whatever, different singers, different, you know, mediums, but it's the same song. It's the same melody. It's the same lyrics. And it's cool that like, you know, if that really is what Christmas music is, it's just passing on, you know, your to your kids. Like you said, I love that idea that we've been doing that literally for hundreds and hundreds of years, centuries. Yeah. It's amazing. It kind of just makes it more of like a little Christmas tradition. You know, it's like, okay, then yeah. your songs come out and then you decide which ones become like your classics your own that'll Christmas. last for you. Yeah. And yeah, that's kind of that. like a cute little thing. Just like whether or not you get like a fake christmas tree and what's in your stocking you know like it's just another Mm -hmm. family thing that gets passed down from generation to generation and that's kind of beautiful it is beautiful i love it well thanks for listening everyone i hope you enjoyed hearing about the history of christmas music and of course the iconic mariah carey all i want for christmas is you which i'm sure we'll be hearing on repeat throughout the next couple of weeks (laughs) (laughs) and Tell us your favorite Christmas songs and the Christmas songs you plan on passing on to your 
families and I don't know what deciding what will be your classics I like that leave us a review and rating and follow us on Instagram come chat with us give us feedback tell us what you hate what you like what you love maybe just what you like it is the Christmas season after all that's true wait till (laughs) January when we're creating our (laughs) New Year's resolutions for the pod (laughs) be nice to us for the end of the year anyways we'll be back next week with a new artist and have a beautiful merry week hey podcast listener do you love talking about movies music tv comics and games then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.